What's going on? And welcome into a Monday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside Jim Mike and offer of Pelicans.com. Our special guest for today to recap a huge win for the Pelicans in game four, 118 to 103, is Andrew Lopez, who covers the Pelicans and the NBA for ESPN and ESPN.com. The series got a little more interesting last night with a big win for the Pelicans. And now we'll head to Phoenix for game number five tomorrow night. And 9 p.m. Central Time, Andrew Lopez will head there later on today, but want to get his thoughts on tonight's or last night's matchup and looking ahead to game five. Andrew, you know, you've been in the city a long time. First, just describe the atmosphere uh, of what you were able to to witness last night inside the blender. Yeah, that was a uh, it was a fun atmosphere. There's only been a few times I can remember it being that loud one of them i mean just happens to kind of be i mean i think the first time i remember it was probably that 08 playoff run that compares uh cp himself putting up 27 15 13 in that series against the lakers uh i guess what 11 years ago now um i was in there for that that was was pretty crazy him going him basically dueling with kobe and then the 14 15 run the end of the season the the, the game to win to get in the whole, you know, Blazers run from there. And uh, last night was up there with all of them. And I think the the single moment that might have been the loudest to me was, uh, I think when Jose, I, I tweeted this, it's when Jose forced the eight count. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then it also might have been when Jose forced, uh, got the sneaky steal. When he got the high to Jose on Chris Paul, I think those two moments themselves, and it just kind of speaks to to Jose as a person and Jose as a uh, as a player that he's been embraced so much by this fan base. I mean, the Jose chants all night. I mean, those were incredible. And apparently, he's got Jamie Fox on his side too. So, who 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 are we? Who are we to say that Jose is not a mega superstar? You're absolutely right, Jim. What did you think about the atmosphere again? You've been with this franchise a long time as well, where does this one stack up to you as, as far as the atmosphere? Yeah, it's definitely near the top of the list. It might be at the top of the list. I'm not sure if I've seen the sustained level of volume and decibels that we experienced last night. There definitely have been times where I think there's been peak moments where it was as loud, but I mean, for the crowd to be so intense over the course of all 48 minutes. And I think as Andrew referenced, um, I think part of it is just the city has so embraced the team overall, but also some of the specific characters that have been developed over the course of the season. I mean, Jose is kind of like the ultimate underdog story that you got a guy who was undrafted. This it was supposed to be probably mostly in the G League this year before different things that were unexpected came up. And he's out there facing down a guy who's been in the league for 17 years and has made the all-star game, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 times and just not giving an inch, not even letting the guy dribble the ball across half court, um, getting um, kind of lectured in in a way the other night in game two about doing the behind the back steal and then actually coming through with one. It was just amazing. And then you got all the stuff that Herb did as well, who's another player that I think New Orleans absolutely loves. And it's hard to believe um, how much those guys have been embraced. It's hard in this short amount of time. I mean, relatively speaking, these guys have only been here for like seven months and they're already like cult heroes. So um, it was, it was fantastic. It was definitely one of the 
most exciting nights I think we've had here in the entire time I've been here. Jim, I'm glad you brought up Jose and I know Andrew did too, and also Herb Jones, because I was going to bring to my next question. I asked Jim about this last night in our post game show, but those two guys letting this moment not get the best of them. Uh, Jose Alvarado that, you know, is, is standing up to guys like Chris Paul that was able to do the, the eight count, the big steal. And then Herb Jones getting physical with Chris Paul. I, I saw a different side of Herb Jones last night in a good way. He's that quiet demeanor on the court, but last night you saw that you saw him not allowing Chris Paul to help him up, which got a lot of attention on Twitter. How big is it, Andrew, to see those two guys, one undrafted, one of the 35th fifth pick overall, to play in their first playoff experience as rookies and not shy away from as big of a moment as game four was last night? Yeah, I think it comes down to, based on how they played this, I mean, I don't think either of those guys are really rookies at this point, right? I mean, it just because of the, the experience that they have, and I think that's something that you get with four-year guys. Um. You know, you see Herb was an SEC defense. I mean, both of those guys were defensive player of the years in their conferences last year uh, or last year, two years ago at this point. Right. Uh, the SEC and the ACC, two very good conferences. Um, so they, they have these chops. And I think both of them are not not scared by the moment. And I think it's um, it, it just speaks to who they are as players. And I think Herb, for one, is, you know, that not letting CP help him up or. Uh, you know, getting the blocks on the three. I mean, they are made for these moments. And I think um, I asked, what was that? It was after game two when I asked Willie, hey, did you think if I'd have told you Jose Alvarado was playing playoff minutes for you in, you know, if I'd have told you that in October, would you believe me? And he said, yeah, because I saw it. I, I saw it in them then. I mean, I heard, I, I was told out of the training camp, look, her, her might be Willie's favorite player you know, from a couple of people. And you saw that in in their play. You saw that in how much he trusted him by immediately throwing him into the starting lineup. Um, what was that, second game or whatever it was. And I, I think it's just been an uh, incredible growing experience for them this year. But I think their teammates have empowered them in these moments to not have to – or not treat it like they're rookies. And I think their, their teammates don't treat them like they're rookies on the court. And I think that helps their growth. Yeah, you know, I think my reaction to kind of the way that they carried themselves last night and throughout the season, but maybe specifically in terms of the way they interacted with Chris Paul and some of the other Suns veteran players, such as Jay Crowder, um, some of the other guys that there were some minor scuffles and stuff with. Um, I think we all understand that, um, you know, sportsmanship, there's a, there's a level of sportsmanship that we expect and Jose kind of touched on this after the game last night too, saying like, none of this is personal. This is just basketball. It's not anything beyond that. There's no, you know, he has a ton of respect for Chris Paul, but I also think there's a kind of a trend the last few years in the NBA, maybe even going back further than that. It's almost like an unwritten rule that the rookies and the young players are supposed to treat the older players with some deference, I guess is the word I would use. And, it's, it's almost more than respect. It's almost like you kind of step out of the way and let them do their thing. Um, I don't like that. I think everybody should be competitive. I don't think players on different, we under, we all understand there's tons of friendships. It's a small community. You can be buddies with each other off the court and still go at each other on the court. But I feel like though with both Jose and Herb, they both had the mentality that like, 
um, not only do I not really want to be friends with you on the court if you're on the other team, but I, I feel like there's a little element of with Chris Paul where it's like, you know, you're going to be respectful towards me and you're going to try to not buddy buddy up to me, but, you know, pat me on the back. And I think there was a situation where somebody had explained it as Chris Paul was trying to explain something to Jose and Jose was like, don't talk to me. And I think I see that more as just um, the players kind of standing up for themselves of like, you know, I don't want to be involved in a conversation with you because you're going to be trying to soften me up a little bit. And then the next thing you know, you're going to do a sweep through move or some veteran crafty thing that's going to get me in trouble or have me in a bad situation. So it's like, there's no point. And I said this also on the post game show last night, they don't care. And I love that part about it. We're, they're not here to make sure that Chris Paul thinks that they're good guys or that they can get along with Chris Paul so that he can say, Oh, you know, Herb and Jose, well, those guys were not really nice to me. No one cares. And I think that's great. I think people in this entire city loves that about those two guys, just the way that they've carried themselves. Based on last night, Jim, do you feel like Brandon Ingram kind of has that same mentality too? I mean, the way he was going at it with, look, look, everyone's been going at it with Chris Paul, but I feel like Brandon Ingram too, I think a lot of it is maybe a, a chip on his shoulder. It's the fact that, you know, no one really thought what he was going to be able to accomplish. Um, the fact that this is his first playoff series, it, that's really not his fault in the six years that he's been in the NBA. But I feel like Brandon Ingram kind of carries that same mindset, which is huge for your your star player to be able to. One, you saw a couple moments. He was teachable moments where he was talking to Jose Alvarado about certain things, Herbert Jones. But I feel like Brandon Ingram kind of has that same mindset as well. Yeah, he does. And I think, I mean, one of the things that has stood out to me the most in this playoff series, especially the last couple of games, um, I'll throw a couple stats out at you, which I actually think one of them, Andrew, might have been the first person to note that B.I. was the first player in franchise history to have three straight playoff games of 30 plus points. It's actually also the first time in his career that he's had three straight games of 30 points going back through the previous six regular seasons. He hasn't had, I don't have this number specifically, but he hasn't had more than a couple entire months of his career where he's had three games of 30 plus points. And we're talking about regular seasons where sometimes you play 14, 15 games in a, in a month. So for him to do that three times in a row is pretty incredible. Also the 23 shots that he took last night, if you exclude the overtime game that the Pelicans played in, against Denver, that graph always tells me to never bring up again. If you take that away, 23 shots by uh, B.I. was the most that he had taken since December 23rd at Orlando. So to me, it's just about the aggressive mentality that he has that what, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it, I mean, I feel like it's a combination of just the opportunity that he has now to be in the playoffs for the first time, like you referenced, but also everyone else on the team saying him, including C.J. McCollum, which is a big uh, vote of confidence, just being like, we know you're a great player. We know you can be the best player in the game. So just take over. And that's what he he's done so often. He has seven double digit scoring quarters out of the last 12 quarters, which is over three games. I mean, just segments of the game where it's like, he's going to get to his spots. He's going to shoot it over you. He's going to get to the basket. He's had some pretty aggressive highlight reel dunks as well, which he's, he's done that before, but it seems like he's doing that more frequently lately. So just all great signs that from what we've seen from Ingram. Andrew, when you when you talk about Brandon Ingram, um, he talks about playing on the biggest stage. Do you feel like the NBA community is finally starting to realize what we've been seeing, not only this season, but 
all these three seasons here in New Orleans about what Brandon Ingram is capable of doing and what he's been able to do in these last three games. This kind of been seeing whether it's writers or fans be like, oh, this is this is pretty impressive what Brandon Ingram's been doing. Yeah, I think uh, people really started to take notice after the, you know, the, the near triple-double in two, you know, 37-11-9. Last night was another effort, you know, tremendous effort. What it's, uh, I think we pulled the staff from stats and info last night. He's what the, the fifth highest point total for his first four playoff games since the merger. I mean, that's, that's just, I mean, it tells you that he is built for this moment, I think. Um, but you also saw that in the, in the two play-in games, right? You, you saw that at home against the Spurs. You saw that uh, in L.A. He, is, he has a game that is built for playoff basketball. Um, you know, when you can get to a shot that you want and get it every time, and he can do that with his mid-range. And I think um, – I forgot who I was talking about it with last night, but it, it may have been may have been Windhorse by Brian Windhorse, who who's here for the, the series as well from from ESPN. We're talking about how how Jay Crowder defends him. And a lot of Jay Crowder's game is built on strength. And BI is not going to match Jay Crowder's strength for strength, uh, in terms of just pure strength, but if BI's game isn't about backing him down. It's about getting to his spot and then raising up and using all, you know, eight foot 11 of his wingspan, it seems <laughs> like, to to just shoot the ball over somebody. And I think that is an advantage that that B.I. has in this series. Um, and it, it is something that he is not afraid to use or get to um, whenever he needs. And I think that has been a very um, a, a key point for Brandon in this series to continue to have. Uh, the success that he did um, in the first four games. I, I think it's an interesting point to, that you make about his game is built for the postseason. We always talk about how the NBA is kind of trying to phase out the mid-range game because of analytics and stuff like that. But when it comes down to the playoffs and every single possession is important, sometimes it's not really about analytics. It's about trying to get the best shot you can possibly get. Or, I mean, not even just the playoff series against Phoenix, but also the two and playing the two play-in games that you referenced where it did come down to, you know, you absolutely need to get a basket on this possession. It doesn't matter if it's what the stats say you should take. It doesn't have to be, if it's a, if it's an 18 footer, but it's Brandon Ingram taking it, you're more than happy with that. So, and I think the game slows down so much too, that the half court part of offense becomes a bigger factor than it does maybe during the regular season, relatively speaking. So I, I hadn't really thought about that before the playoffs slash postseason with him, but man, it's been awesome to see just the way that he's delivered in, in, you know, now six really important games that they've played over the last couple of weeks. A couple more things for y'all um, on this Monday. One of them is I think two of the main adjustments that the Pelicans had to make were getting the ball out of Chris Paul's hands, stalling him, which they were able to do last night. The other was get the ball in the hands of Jonas Valanciunas, which they did 26 points and 15 rebounds. I'll start with Andrew and I'll go to Jim. Which one impacted the game more for you? Was it Jonas getting more involved or was it Chris Paul not being as involved as the Suns would want him to be? I think it was, it's, it's based on how they, the, the Suns won the two games. It, I think it's gotta be Chris Paul and limiting Chris Paul. Um, 
you did not need him to have another 19 point effort in the fourth quarter. If you were the New Orleans Pelicans, all right, that, I mean, that's two wins just right there that, that, that are, that fall on his shoulders. Um, so changing up the coverages against him, getting him uh, a, a little bit frustrated, I think was, was key. And if anybody knows how to do it, it's, it's Willie, right? Somebody who's known him. Uh, we, we talked about that playoff game 11 years ago when he had 27, 15 and 13. Well, well, he was on the bench for that, right? He was, he was one of his teammates. So he's known him for quite a while. And I think that is, that was, was, was the key. Now, I think the bigger thing about getting JV going wasn't necessarily just, you know, him having the 26 and 15, it was more having, you know, matching him up on those second units against JaVel McGee, allowing him to get going, allowing him to find his flow early and, doing that more so than you know having him try to just go pound for pound you know blow for blow with Aiden all game you have Aiden you have Nance out there to switch a little bit more with Aiden and JV can kind of do what JV does I think that was a a a a key switch that Willie Green made last night that uh obviously you know proved to be the right one yeah I agree I completely with Andrew on all of those points I think if you were able to get Jonas going the way the Pelicans did, but Chris Paul was still on the other end, able to do as well or even close to as well as he did in the games that the Suns won in terms of the fourth quarter execution. Um, Even if the Pelicans win, if you still hadn't cut that off and figured out a way to slow that down, I I don't know if you, how, what your confidence level would be, even if you had even the series two, two. So I definitely would pick um, the way that they defended against Chris Paul as more important, especially going forward. Um, I feel like there was an element, maybe an intangible thing or a mental thing that was going to be always in the back of your mind until you could figure that out. So, and not to say that he's not going to come back and have a huge game because he easily could, um, but at least you found something that was effective against him. And obviously I think too defensively for New Orleans, if Chris Paul doesn't really want to, go into attack mode as far as scoring. So if he's getting his points the way, whenever he wants to, and he's getting the other guys involved, it's going to be really tough to beat Phoenix because their offense is just going to be way too efficient. So it feels like maybe there's an, a, there could be a domino effect that if you do a good job on Chris Paul, that you can, in, in, a, in a, a, an odd way, it kind of tumbles onto some of the other players. Um, it didn't seem like any of their other perimeter guys had good games, shooting games last night, which, I mean, that could also turn around um, in game five and six, but, um, but that was huge. So the, the one quick thing I'll say about Valanciunas, um, I mentioned this on the post-game radio show last night. To me, it was kind of, I thought the Pelicans were running their offense from too far from the basket in, a lot of times in the first three games. So you get the ball inside of the paint and you can kind of move everything in a little bit and not have so many contested three pointers against the shot clock, the way that they did where the Pelicans I thought had too many possessions where you were kind of searching for something in the last five seconds of the clock. It seemed like that didn't happen hardly at all last night where the the offense just ran so much better based on kind of more of an inside out approach compared to what it had been before that. All right. So before I let you guys go game five tomorrow night, Footprint Center, 9 p.m. Central Time. What's the biggest key? I know. I know, Andrew. But you're going to be there. So it's going to feel like 7 o'clock for you. But I know the time The time zone. Sure, sure it will. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm going to be the one here till 1 a.m. trying to figure things out, hopefully recapping a Pelicans win. So I'm there with you on 
us needing a nap time at some point here throughout this week, which I don't know if we'll get that, but maybe, maybe after the season, we can get a long nap in, but what's going to take it. What's going to take for the Pelicans to steal game five in Phoenix. What's that one X factor for new Orleans and Jim, I'll end with you after Andrew, as far as what could be maybe another adjustment or what's something that it could be as simple as continuing to evolve from game four into game five. So it's, it's, it's going to be this continued chess match between Monty Williams and, and Willie Green. Um, what we've seen is, you know, they, they have been very good at countering each other and in the next game. And I think that's what, that's the tweak that you saw in game four, where Willie, you know, changes the rotations and um, they're going to go trap CP a little bit more, or they're going to go under on campaign and not treat him the same way they were playing Chris Paul. So there was a lot of different things that they were doing and going back home in Phoenix, they're going to be ready to go. And and there was a 42 to 15 difference in free throw attempts. It was a 12 foul difference overall. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to guess that Phoenix is going to try and be more aggressive than they were in game four and go back to where they were in, in game three when they had 64 paint points. That I think is going to be the biggest on court key. If you Chris Paul aside, all right, let's Chris Paul is always going to be number one in this series because if he gets going, that's, that's a given. And if Brandon and CJ are going to continue to play at the level that they're at, if you can keep JB going, the biggest difference maker to me is going to be uh, how aggressive both teams are and what Phoenix can do in the paint. Um, that, that to me is going to be the, the thing that I'm watching out for. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought up the free throw thing because I've seen people talking about that a lot and I'm not going to sit here and lobby about that. I'm going to leave that to other people that people actually care what they think and say, but um, one of the things I think if you look back at the regular season, um, Pelicans were sixth in the league in free throw attempts per game. Phoenix was 27th. So I, obviously you don't expect the disparity to be as big as what it's been or what it was in particular last night, but it should not be surprising that new Orleans gets to the foul line more than Phoenix does. I mean, if you just watch the games too, you see the uh, Suns are a lot more of a jump shooting team and no complaints with that. I mean, they won 64 games, the best team in the league this year, no issues with that whatsoever. Obviously they don't have Devin Booker right now. So some of the, those are some of the free throw attempts are going to go away naturally with him, not on the court, but I do think that it's a little um, misleading for people to be like, you know, just look at the numbers and say Pelicans are getting more free throw attempts. So therefore it's unfair. I mean, it's, it's, it's really what you should expect based on what I said in terms of the rankings this season. Um, But the other factor in terms of game five that I'm kind of looking at is, and some of this just might be just the luck of the draw or the way you can't control for three point shooting. I think from a Phoenix standpoint, they're looking at the first four games and saying we're a much better perimeter shooting team than what we've shown. I mean, for it to be pretty even with New Orleans over the course of the series, especially last night, it was pretty much a dead heat as far as Pelicans shot 25% and Phoenix shot 26%. I mean, the Pelicans will take that every time. But if you're Phoenix, you're thinking maybe some of our perimeter guys are going to warm up a little bit. Um, It just seems like all of them have really struggled. Cam Johnson started to warm up a little bit last night. Um, But other than that, they really haven't gotten rolling. So I mean, from a New Orleans standpoint, obviously you hope that the role players continue to not make some of the open shots that they've been getting, which 
to me was a was a big factor last night in the 15 point win for the Pelicans. All right, so here we go. Game five tomorrow night in Footprint Center in Phoenix, Arizona. Then back home, Pelicans will get that third home game on Thursday with game time to be determined most likely after the game five will be completed tomorrow night. That's Jim Mike Canopper, Pelicans.com. Andrew Lopez of ESPN, ESPN.com. Andrew, I appreciate the insight as always. Safe travels, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. All right, sounds good, guys. All right, speaking of ESPN, we'll have another voice from ESPN tomorrow. Sean Kelly, radio voice of the ESPN broadcast, uh, former voice of the Pelicans. He'll preview tomorrow's game as well as he will be on the call for game number five for ESPN Radio. Hope you all enjoy this wonderful Monday here in New Orleans. Enjoy the win, and we'll talk to you tomorrow on the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeking.